So all month long, we're doing a teaching series called Selfie. Anybody know what a selfie is? Huh? Anybody not know what a selfie is? It's okay if you don't. A selfie is like one of these pictures that you take with a camera phone of yourself. Anybody ever taken them before? Like Jen right here? Come on, that's right. So you have permission to take selfies here all month long. So just hashtag Elevate Miami Church. And uh, we're doing a teaching series called Selfie, God's Vision for a New You. Um, so post them, Facebook, Instagram, all that other stuff. But that's what uh, a selfie is, and there's the definition up there if you're interested in that as well. But what the teaching series is about, the teaching series is about four pillars that God builds his will on in our life. Every one of you in this room, you were created. You guys are partying today, man. We got lots of, we got lots of, everyone's excited. All right. It's all good. I just want you guys to be able to dial in. Um, we have, there, what, every one of you in this room, you're created gifted. You're created with gifts. You're cre but you are given gifts, and those gifts are free. Those gifts that are given to you are given to you with little or no obligation on you. Did you know that? They're gifts. You have spiritual gifts, and you're born with innate gifts. Salvation is a gift. You give your heart to Christ. He imparts to you a gift. has nothing to do with you. But... There's also something called destiny and purpose. So not only in this room do you have gifts, and are you, does God give you gifts when you're born innate? Even if you don't know God, you're born with innate gifts. You're born with abilities and talents and, and just things that come very naturally to you, but other people have a difficult time with. Then you come into Christ and you enter his kingdom. You receive his Holy Spirit, and his spirit begins to make gifts known in you too. It begins to manifest or make known things called spiritual gifts, which are really cool. So we're given gifts, but we're also given a destiny and a purpose. While the gift has nothing to do with you, the destiny and the purpose requires a higher level of partnership with you, in case you didn't know. So you're given gifts. Those are free. But you have a destiny, you have a purpose, you have a calling on your life. Every single person, just say this together, I am born on purpose with a purpose. God has created you for a purpose. You know in your heart there's a destiny. You know in your heart there's a purpose. There's a higher per point for you being on this earth, and there's something great about that. The two greatest days are the days you were born, the day you were born, and the day you discover why. Two greatest days in your life are going to be the day, not just the day that you were born, but the day you discover your purpose, the day you discover your vision, the day you understand why you are on this earth. Your purpose, your calling, your destiny, that requires a foundation to be established in your life. While gifts are given to you for free, that's why some of you, you have spiritual gifts or you see people operate in spiritual gift. People that operate in spiritual gift, to operate in a spiritual gift doesn't require a high level of character, in case you didn't know that. There's lots of people that, that flow and operate in dynamics of spiritual giftedness, but they themselves don't necessarily have the character in their own life, but yet there's this giftedness in their life. So giftedness doesn't really require character, but destiny does require character. Purpose does require character. And so in order for the Lord to fulfill his purpose, in order for the Lord to fulfill his destiny in you, there have to be pillars that are established, and there have to be things that are sitting down, like the roof of this building is held up with pillars, right? There's actually one, two, three, four, five. So we have five, six pillars going across here that hold the roof up. Why do the, or the floor, at least the floor above, these pillars are there because what's above us is very weighty. So without these pillars, this couldn't happen. 
And so God, what God does in your life is he establishes pillars in your life because he wants to set something weighty on your life. He wants to rest significance on your life. He wants to rest a destiny and a purpose on your life, but he cannot do that unless pillars are established. So that's what this whole series is about, is establishing these pillars. We have to define success, and this is, again, by way of review. We introduced this a little bit last week. What is success in God's eyes? Success is knowing the purpose of your life. Success is not just knowing the purpose of your life, but reaching your maximum potential. Or to put it another way, reaching your full redemptive potential. Every single one of you has a potential. Every single one of you have a calling. Success to the Lord is that you understand and fulfill your purpose. Success to the Lord is reaching and achieving your maximum potential. Success to the Lord is helping others reach theirs. Jesus tells us in John 10, the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. The thief he's talking about is this fallen angel called Lucifer, the spiritual darkness. It's in this world that Jesus came to put an end to. He says the purpose of that kingdom is only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I, can, I come, the purpose of my kingdom, the purpose of my calling, is to bring you into life and life to the full. This word life is zoe in the Greek, and it means life that only comes from God. So Jesus is saying, I want to bring you in a life that can only come from God. And so the question is, is if that's what he's come to do, are there patterns and are there pathways in the scripture by which we enter into that? And the answer is yes, okay? And again, by way of review, Romans 12, Paul is saying, and this again, this goes back to the language, the, old, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, and so there's certain structures within that language and certain um, tenses within that language that come to our attention if you, if you really want to pull out the meaning of it. This is written in what's called an emphatic imperative. So in the original language, it's written in an emphatic imperative. And anytime it's written in the structure of an emphatic imperative, it means a must. It means you must do this. And so God is, what Paul is writing here is he's writing to us in, a, in, a, in, the, in the structure of this must be done. Okay? So he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. And what he's saying is Jesus has given his all for you. An, a reasonable response is that you give your all to him. That's a reasonable response. That's what really what worship is, is that you giving your all to God. That's what he's looking for. Every, all that I am for all that you are, it's your true and proper worship, right? Who's clapping? That's awesome. We encouraging. We, I encourage participation. So anyway. <laughs> so uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. If you want to know God's will, he gives us a pattern to where we can begin to understand his will. And he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What does the Bible mean when it talks about a world? Again, if you go back to the original language, it is a Greek word called cosmos, and it means system. So this is what it looks like. Bible tells me this, that when I receive Jesus Christ, I, enter, I leave one kingdom and enter another one. I am no longer in darkness. I am now in light. Then the Bible tells me that I am in a world, but I am not of a world. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, what the heck does this mean? It means that as a believer, as someone who follows Christ now, I am in a system, but I am not a part of that system. Understand? This world that we live in is a system of thinking. It's a system of values. It's, a, it's got its own morals, its own beliefs, its own dynamics, it's, and it's counter or contrary to what God is. And the Lord is saying, if you want to know his will, you cannot think according to the patterns of this world. 
You have to transform your mind and think, okay, we're going to get really deep here, and I'm going to say something that you're really not, you probably won't grasp it first to understanding, but if you stick around here, you'll get it, because I teach on this a lot. You have to think from heaven to earth. You begin to think with the mind of Christ. You begin to think past the realm of human limitations and begin to think in terms of, of, of the greater reality, which is the spirit world. And it's saying if you come on. And he's saying if you want to know the will of God, you have to move past human limitations. You have to change the way that you think. You cannot think in the, in the cultural way of the world in which we live. So what are the patterns within Scripture that we kind of come into this? You know, there are patterns of this life to the full. And one of them is transferring, trans, renewing the mind. But we're going to talk about... There are four pillars, and I'm going to talk to you about these four pillars here in a second. But the four pillars relate, and we're going to relate them out of the life of this guy named Joseph. Anybody ever heard of the guy named Joseph in the Bible? Maybe you've seen the kids' movie, Joseph, and the little thing there. If you haven't, that's okay. I'm going to tell you a little story about him. So a guy named Joseph, his father's name was Jacob. Joseph had 11 brothers. All 11 brothers hated him. They all wanted to kill him. So I don't know about you, I don't know what you have to do to get 11 siblings to hate you, but whatever that is, Joseph would do it. And more than likely, it was his arrogance. More than likely, it was his high-minded opinion of himself. Joseph was born with a destiny, he was born with a purpose. There was something special about Joseph when he was born. Heaven knew it. Abraham, or excuse me, Jacob, his father knew it. He was blessed. 11 brothers would go out to tend the sheep. Eleven brothers would be fixing the barn. Eleven brothers would be working the field. Not Joseph. Joseph's at the house sipping on her palmers, right? Walking around in his glitter jacket, you know? And he would go out to his brothers and go, hey, um, you know, I think those roof tiles are a little off there, Reuben. You might want to get over in there and fix them. And he was always kind of like that. His brothers had to work and he didn't. Joseph has a dream. God gives him a dream. God gives him a vision. So God imparts through an encounter a vision for Joseph's life. So not only does he have this favoritism on him, he gets a vision from heaven. And this vision from heaven says, you're going to be great, Joseph. And so he goes to his brothers and he says, hey, I saw 12 sheaths, 12 ears of corn, if you will, out in the field. And my ear of corn rose above all the other 11. What? And their brothers are like, what? Are you trying to say you're better than us? Then he has another dream. And he has a dream that Joseph, he dreams that he's among the stars. And he's like, I was among the stars, and there were 12 stars, and the sun and the moon were there, and my star rose above them all. And all the other stars and the sun and the moon bowed down to me. And his dad was like, what are you trying to say? Your mom and I are going to bow down to you and your brothers? Who do you think you are? Right? And then it says that Jacob pondered it in his heart because he wasn't sure what this meant, but he knew that somehow God was involved in this. Joseph had a vision Joseph's interpretation of the vision was that he was going to rule the family. That's how Joseph understood what God was showing him. But what God had in mind was that Joseph was going to rule an empire, that Joseph was going to be in a, put in a position where he would have arcing rule and that through his influence that God was going to establish, he would have tremendous influence and impact upon the world. So what does that tell you? God's vision for your life is greater than your own. God's interpretation of the vision that he gives you in your life is greater than your own. You get this vision, you get this interpretation, you get this idea of what maybe God has told you, and you interpret it one way, but it, I can assure you, it always means far greater things than what you think it does. Because we think in a very finite way. He thinks in an infinite way. He sees in an infinite way. He sees far greater than what you do. And he's far beyond what you do. Joseph was brought to a foreign land. His brothers threw him in a pit and sold him as a slave. 
That's pretty bad, right? That's not really good. That's a dysfunctional family if I ever heard one. And then they go home to mom and dad, and they go home to dad, and they like, bring home a ripped up coat, and they go, hey, a wild animal ate him. Sorry. Whoops. And his dad mourns forever, and it was a really painful thing that happened to their father because they, threw, they killed Joseph. Or they said they did, but they sold him as a slave. Joseph is brought to a foreign land. He's brought to a foreign culture. He's brought into a language that he does not speak or does not understand. We live in a very transient city. We live in a very dynamic city. Miami is a gateway city. And so we have a lot of cultures influencing here. And guess what you know what, you know what that means? This is exactly the type of city that God wants a gospel-centered church to abide in. Because the nations of the world cross through this city. The nations and the rivers and the currents of the world. There are very few gateway cities in the world, and Miami is one of them. There's probably less than 25 that you would consider a gateway city, and this is one of them. Probably less than 5 or 10 that exist in this country alone, and you're in it. And you're here on purpose with a purpose. There's a destiny, there's a calling for you here if you're a believer. And that's the point. So many of you have been brought to, the, you came to this country, whether it was through economic reasons, family reasons, political reasons. There's lots of people that ended up coming here, and you end up coming here. And even as an American, I come to Miami, and it's a foreign land, foreign culture, foreign language even to me. And a lot of you, you experience the same way, so you can understand how Joseph felt. Joseph lost all his privileges, lost all of his positions. Everything was taken from him. He was rich, he had status, he had influence, and he had affluence, and it was all taken from him. And so if that's you, you're in good company, right? Your heavenly father, let's just say it together, my heavenly father is in the restoration business. It's what he does. He restores, man. He takes what is broken, he takes what is lost, and he redeems it, and he builds it, and he makes it greater than it was before. That's who he is. That's what he does. Joseph was put in a position where he had no control over his own life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been put in a position where you have no control over your own life? If you have not, you soon will be. And you will be, will be a recurring pattern in your life because that's the way this world is. This world constantly throws you into positions where you have no control over the matter. As organized as you think you are, life's going to turn the table over on you. As structured as you think you are, life's going to turn the table over on you. I was just reading an article about a guy who does all this time management and all this other stuff, and I'm reading through his article, and I'm thinking, wow, it'd be great. I really wish I had that level of time management. And then you know what I started thinking? Life does not operate according to time management, right? He's got budgeted 90 minutes a night with his family. You know, I'm like, well, what happens when the kids get sick? You know, what happens when this happens? What happens when this happens? It doesn't work like that. No matter how hard we try to control life, life cannot be controlled. And we are put in positions where we cannot control our circumstances. Joseph's life looked like he had struck out, but he hadn't even come to bad. If you're in here this morning and you feel like you've struck out, you feel like your life has been a loss, maybe whatever you may feel, I would dare say if you're in Christ, you haven't even come up to the plate yet. You haven't even picked up the bat. Your moment has not yet even come. What Joseph had to learn through all of this and what we have to learn through all this is dependency upon God. The four pillars that God establishes, the four pillars that we're going to talk about, and I'm talking about destiny. I'm not talking about giftedness. We have to understand that. Two different worlds, destiny and giftedness. People think because they're operating in a gift, they're operating in their destiny. Just because you're in a gift doesn't mean you're operating in destiny. They're two entirely different things. We want destiny. God is, the gifts are free. The gifts are to enable the destiny. The gifts are to enable the purpose. 
But you cannot walk in destiny if you do not establish pillars or allow the Lord. You can't do it. God has to do it for you. And the first pillar is dependency upon God. There are four pillars of destiny, dependency, integrity, um, teamwork, and um, what's the, I, I can't, I figure out how, effectiveness. I, want, I, I said it differently, but I changed the word. So it's effectiveness, being effective. Those are the four pillars, or excellence is another way of saying it. The first pillar is dependency. We have to learn to be dependent upon God. It begins with a vision. You guys got a few minutes, I'll talk to you about how to get a vision. If not, I can move on and we can go get the food. I mean, we'll just move right through the mess. No. Kelly was asking me a great question after first service because I didn't touch on it. I didn't touch on it because time constraints. But if you got a moment, I'll tell you how to get a vision in a very short way. Yes, Anybody want to know how to get a vision in a very short way? Okay, okay. All right. We talk a lot about vision, so I didn't want to do another one. I was trying to take, now how do we make the vision happen? You get vision through this. Number one, you ask the Lord. You ask the Lord. That's the first, that's a primary way. Lord, what is it that you want? from my life. And if you want to understand vision, you have to understand the layers of vision. There is a vision for what you need to do right now. There is a vision for what you're working towards. And then there's the arcing vision or the meta. It looks like this, micro, macro, meta. God always works in those three spheres. Micro is the immediate, macro is the, is the bigger circle, and macro is the big arcing compass that's over your life. If I'm talking to you about the macro vision or the arcing compass over your life, what does that look like? Well, it looks like asking the Lord, asking him, what is your purpose for me? What is your calling for me? What is your destiny for me? Letting him minister back to you. A lot of times, and then the second aspect of that is what is on your heart. This is the idea of desire or desire. If you are a worshiper of God and you worship the Lord in spirit and truth, the word desire means to sire. So the Holy Spirit sires, impregnates, if you want to get that technical, he impregnates things or places things within your heart that are from him. He sires them in you. And so he says, what I'm siring in you is what you're to ask me for. What has he sired in your heart? What is your heart's desire? Somewhere in there, your vision and your destiny lies. What has he told you directly? Okay, I can relate that in some ways with my own life because he told me things directly. And I was completely unrelated to what he told me, but I began to line my heart up into what he told me directly. He said, you're going to lead. You're going to lead my people. I'm 19 years old. I don't know anything. I don't know Genesis from Matthew. I can't. Haggai, where's that book? I don't even know where that is. Right? Pastor, be up there. We're going to read from the book of Micah. And this was back in the day when everybody had, like, paper Bibles. I'd be like, hold, hold, hold on, Micah? Where's Micah? I'd be looking in a table of contents. You know what I mean? I learned the value because I didn't know what I was doing. Yet, I asked the Lord for a vision over my life, and he says, you're going to lead my people. This is years ago. So I began to understand that and operate that way. So sometimes it comes through direct impartation. Sometimes it comes through, what is the desire? And here's the problem. We fear the weight of the desire that is on our hearts. Most people are afraid of the weight of the desire that is on their heart because it's too great for them. And you know what? It is. And you know why? Because the one who is greater than you has put it there. That's right. And the weight, the weight that is on your heart, and I will just put this over here as a caveat, if God gives you a vision, if God, and he will, God, he's a visionary God, he, your young men will see dream, will dream dreams, your old men will see, dream, will see visions, we are a culture of dreamers and visions, this is who we are, dreamers and visionaries, your God is a dreaming God, your God is a visionary God, and he imparts that to us. We fear the weight that is on our heart, or we don't align ourselves with maybe what he said directly because we think we have to figure it out. You don't have to figure it out. 
If God has told you, he will instruct you on how to go about it. And he will teach you one step at a time. We want it immediately, but he'll teach you one step at a time. So vision looks like asking the Lord. Vision looks like the journey of desire. People fear the journey of desire because we've been disappointed, because we've been hurt, because we have wrong paradigms. We think that God's not good. We think that we're not worthy. We think that we're incapable. We fear the journey of desire. You have to take, if you want destiny and you want calling, you have to do the work of desire. And it's a wrestling match. It's a gnawing within the heart. And you have to wrestle that through. And a lot of times God can't reveal certain things to you because your thinking is wrong. Romans 12. You're thinking in wrong paradigms. Somebody said the only closed heaven over the Christian is the one between their ears. We are under open heavens. Jesus has rent the heavens. When he was baptized, heaven was open. Not just over him. When he rose from the dead, he imparted the power and the nature of the open heaven over you and I. It is an impartation of all that he is. That's what salvation is. He has imparted all that he is into us. And we do not walk in things because one of the biggest problems is the way that we think. According to your faith, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. God said, let him who prophesy, let them prophesy. What? According to their faith. Let them speak. And one of the, that word for prophecy meant de declarative prayer. Declaring prayer. Declaring what God said into your circumstance. It said, declare what God said into your circumstance according to your faith. And do you know why people don't declare into their circumstance? Because it's not according to their faith. Their belief is wrong. And so they don't sit there and look at themselves and say, I am a son of the living God. I am born by the grace of God. They don't declare I am born on purpose with a purpose. They don't declare these things over their life. They don't declare I will succeed and not fail when their circumstances are screaming at them that they are going to fail. I am the above only and not beneath. They won't declare it. That's why we do declarative prayer. Why? Because on earth as it is in heaven. We say on earth what God says in heaven. This is the idea. People go, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, then, okay, that's fine, because it's according to your faith, so do it. And you think, and I think you're crazy for doing it. Well, that's okay. That's all right. Somebody said I'm a nut. I'm like, that's okay. I'm screwed onto the right bolt. I'm good. We're all good. <laughs> okay to be nuts, man. Just make sure you're, on the right, you're screwed onto the right bolt. So vision looks like asking the Lord, desiring in the heart, and then here's the three questions. What could be, what should be, what must be? Therein lies your destiny. Ask the Lord, what is the desire of your heart? What could be? What should be, what must be. Somebody has to do something about that. This city needs a church. Okay, Kevin, you're the one who's equipped. You go there. Oh, no, I can't do that. No, but and then just constant must, 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 must. This city needs this. Somebody must do something. The must that he puts on your heart, he's probably not going to put it on 100 people's hearts. It's on your heart. And people all the time, oh, I got some ideas for this church. I'm like, yeah, it's great. The calling and the destiny that's on you is not what's on me. The role of this church is to empower the vision of the people that God calls here, right? Whatever that may be, whatever that may be. That looks like into the secular arena. That looks like into the social arena. That looks like into the spiritual arena. But what we have to ask, what is your must? Your must looks like, like, like people look and they go, like, I can't do anything. Somebody has to do something about those kids. Well, why don't you begin to ask the Lord what must be done about those kids? Eric looks at the prisoners, having experienced very difficult things in his own life, and says, somebody must do something about that. 
Therefore, we now have prison ministry because somebody looked at it and said, somebody passed. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Some of you, you have these callings on your life, and it's all relative to you. The calling that is, there is a corporate calling, and there is individual calling. And, there is, and all of these callings intersect, and they create a dynamic, powerful move of God. But without vision, you have no direction. Vision is a must. You have to ask the Lord, what is your vision for me? And it's going to be bigger than you. It's going to be more powerful than you. You're going to feel like you can't hold it. You're going to, it's going to freak you out. You're going to feel completely inadequate. You're going to want to quit even when you start. Get, get in line. Once you start the vision, you're going to think, yeah, rah, 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 because it looks like what, what the vision looks like a lot of times is it looks like the highlight reel of a great movie. Anybody seen a highlight reel from a, of a movie? And then you go to see the movie, and you're like, wow, that movie was lame, you know? <laughs> the highlight reel is to get you into the movie. God shows you a highlight reel. That's what he did with Joseph. He shows him this highlight reel. He didn't tell him what was going to be involved in that. But the whole goal is that God will bring it to pass. He has a vision for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a vision for your family. He has a vision for your workplace. He has a vision for you individually. He has a vision for you in the world. It, he wants to do it on all levels. All levels. That's what Elevate's all about. Elevate to the next level. Come up to the next level. We lift Jesus up and we lift people higher. That's the whole point. Where there is no vision, the people will have no direction. If you don't have a vision, you don't have direction. The Bible likens a person who doesn't have vision as someone who's running and beating the air. In other words, you have a lot of activity, but you're really not getting anything done. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You feel like I, there was a whole lot of motion, but I don't really know if anything was actually accomplished. <laughs> All parents that have kids feel that way. They're like, wow, we had a lot of motion today. I don't really know what we got done here, but there was a lot of stuff going on around here. We have to have a vision. We have to have a direction. And we have to keep setting the compass back to that vision, back to that direction, back to that vision, back to that direction. You have to work through your difficulties, all that other stuff. It says, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Fools don't want to know the will of the Lord. A fool does not care what God thinks. That's what the Bible says. There's a fool. You're a fool. He doesn't even talk to the fool. He just says, fool, doesn't talk to him. Let me talk to the wise. That's what the Bible says. Let the wise hear me. The fool, I have no time for. But let the wise hear me. It says, the fool does not care about the will of the Lord. But the wise understand what the world the Lord's will is. You want to know what the will of the Lord is. If you even have that inkling of a desire to know God's will, you are wise in God's eyes. The four pillars are dependency, integrity, teamwork, and effectiveness. This is what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks. Today we're going to talk about dependency. How do we depend upon God? What's a practical way to be dependent upon God? If, if my vision and the purpose and the destiny of my life requires dependency, well, what does that look like? People tend to operate this way with their purpose and their power. The result of a life that's lived that way is emptiness. You can accomplish a lot in your purpose. You can accomplish a lot in your power. We have empires, we have monuments, we have businesses, we have all kinds of things that are accomplished by people with their purpose and their power. But there's a tremendous amount of emptiness at the end of the day. And just read the quotes of some of these people at the end of their lives and you'll realize they accomplished a lot with their purpose and their power, but they really felt quite empty in it all. Owner of Standard Oil said, I'd trade my entire fortune for a relationship that worked and a life, or he even said a day that was meaningful. A day that I felt meaningful. Just give me a day and I'll give you all that I have. Just give me a relationship that works and I'll give you all that I have. 
had his own purpose, had his own power, God did amazing things. But at the end of the day, there was an emptiness. There's a void. And the only thing that they fill the void with are people that operate like that is more, 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 more. So it's an endless consumption. Our purpose, our power, or our purpose, God's power, this is another one. A lot of times we, we have our own purpose and we want God to get on our agenda. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Lord, I want this relationship, so get over here and bless it now. Right? <laughs> I want that job. Bless me with that. What we find ourselves in in that is unfulfilled because Jesus is not on your agenda. He doesn't work on your agenda. It's not, it's not, that's not how it works. And so oftentimes we feel unfulfilled and we get frustrated. Lord, I wanted you to do that for me. That's what I wanted. And until we understand, the Lord's like, don't you get what you're saying, Kevin? That's what you wanted. Did you ask me what I wanted, right? This is how we raise children. Little children, we give them what they want, but there's a period of time where we don't give that kid everything they want, right? They want it. Well, so what? I want Snickers and a Coke for dinner. Well, you're not having Snickers and a Coke for dinner. That's my son, literally. Ten years old, what do you want for dinner? I want a Snickers bar and a Coke. You're not having a Snickers bar and a Coke. Well, why not? Because it's not good for you. Anyway, then we have God's purpose and our power. Then there's oftentimes people who receive God's purpose. They see the vision. This is something Joseph did. You see this with Moses. You see this oftentimes not only in the scripture but in the lives of people. People get a vision. They get a purpose, and they get this thing, and they start to operate in it in their power. And what happens is, is that it leads to frustration because you cannot fulfill God's purposes in your power. Let's just say this together. I cannot fulfill God's purposes in my power. Let's just take a real basic purpose. You're called to follow Jesus. Do you know you cannot do that in your own power? Do you, do you know that's, that is impossible on every level from a human level? You say, no, it's not. I'm doing pretty good at it. Really? Love your enemies. Try that one on. Forgive those. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Try that on. Let someone just burn you, offend you, hurt you at a deep level, and then you go and bless them. You go and write them a check, right? You can't do it. It's not in your nature to do it. You cannot fulfill that purpose in your power. You cannot forgive. Let's take it to a marriage. Come on, Mark. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's his purpose. You think I can do that in my power? No way. And if my knees were worn out, God helped me. Four-letter word, hell. I'm like, Adam, the woman you gave me, Lord, hell. Because I cannot fulfill God's purpose in my power. Wives, honor and respect your husband. Let's just say a collective ouch. Ouch. There you go. Okay? You can't do it. You can't honor and respect your husband in your power. You cannot why? Because he's a sinner. He's going to screw up. He does dumb things. You can, you, you're going to see him in broken lenses. You can only, when you, to honor and respect, you have to see him through different eyes. And the only way you do that is with God's power. You can't do any of God's purposes in your power. It is a complete and total dependence upon his spirit. Complete. And the sooner you get that in mind, the, the freer you're going to be. You're going to be totally free because, first of all, you're going to accept the fact that you can't do it. <sighs> Happy day. All right. Then you're going to accept the fact that in him you can. Happy day. Right. We can't fulfill any of us. Let's not even talk about achieving the high vision. Let's just talk about practical life. 
We can't do anything without him. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The Bible tells us again, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. What am I missing here? Right? We can do nothing without him. We're completely lost. We're helpless. We're hopeless. But in his spirit, we can do all things, what? Through Christ, right? We can do all things, how? Through Christ, who strengthens me. You can love your wife. You can respect your husband, right? You can raise those children that you want to disown, right? There's a story I don't want to get off of, but I'm having fun with you guys this morning, so I don't know. You want to hear a story? Just a little story? All right, whatever. There's this, uh, I don't want to name the state, but the state, the state was, this particular state out west was trying to do something about adoption and unwanted babies. And so they said, hey, if you, you know, if you don't, they were, they were dealing this thing with abortion. They were trying to deal with it. And like, what are we going to do? And there's all these kids and running around and people abandoning their kids. They're like, hey, if you got an unwanted child, drop them off over at the courthouse or whatever. They were getting inundated with teenagers. No lie. <laughs> they, were, they were expecting to get babies, you know, like all oh, these people, they don't want their baby. Hey, don't throw the baby in the dumpster. You know, just bring it to the courthouse and, you know, we'll find a home or we'll put it in adoption or, you know, they're trying to do something about all this stuff that was going on. And so they put out the message, if you don't want your kid, hey, you want your baby or your child, bring it over to the courthouse. And they had all these teenagers showing up. Parents were like, there it is, here he is. You take them and they're peeling out down the road. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> My work here is done, but you can in God's strength. What you cannot think you can, you can in his strength. So we have to rely upon the Lord and be dependent upon the Lord. And these are four practical areas, and the first one is this area of strength. You must depend upon the Lord for strength, and you can. Joseph had to depend upon the Lord for his strength. He lost everything. He had no power. He didn't know if he was going to live or if he was going to die. He had to depend upon the Lord for his strength. Our strength is limited. God's strength is unlimited. Our strength is finite. His strength is infinite, infinite. Psalm 84 says, what joy. How happy are the people whose strength comes from the Lord. Isaiah 40 says, those who trust in the Lord will. It doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say they might. It doesn't say on a good day. It says, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on high places, on high wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. In other words, yeah, come on. If you look to the Lord, he will strengthen you. If you ask him, he will give it to you. You can't, but he can. All things are possible. Psalm 71. Let's just say this together. I walk in the strength of the Lord. This is a declarative prayer, so as you can see, I tell everyone that you alone are just and good. You see the declaration, right? So here's the deal. So when you're weak and tired, you say, let's just say this, I walk in the strength of the Lord. When you can't face the day, you say, when you want to murder your spouse, you say, when you're pressured and overwhelmed and stressed out, you say, that's right. That's right. So we need to look to the Lord for the strength. We need to speak that out over our lives. We need to receive that as his blessing. And we need to declare that out over our life. We must depend upon the Lord for strength. Dependency is a pillar in which our destiny is made known. Depend upon him for his strength. We depend upon him for wisdom. Joseph had to, had to depend upon the Lord for wisdom. Why? Because he faced situations he did not have answers to. 
What I know for sure, every single person in this room, I don't care what your background is, your educational background, or who you are, or maybe you're professor so-and-so, or I don't know what you do, or what, whatever it is, but what I do know is that you will face multiple situations in your life, and you will have no answer to that problem. I know that for sure. Every single, come on, every single person in this room will confront situations and circumstances to which you have no answer. Why? Because that's life. That's what life does. Life trains us and teaches us and shows us that we're not, we're not smart enough, we're not uh, good looking enough, we don't have enough resources. Life trains you and teaches you that. But as a Christian, we have access to the wisdom of God. You can look to the Lord and be dependent upon him for wisdom. How do you know? The Bible tells me so. <laughs> Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend upon your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Let's just do this. This is just a fun little exercise. Let's just turn this into a declarative prayer. I will trust in the Lord with all my heart. I will not depend upon my own understanding. I will seek his will in all that I do, and he will show me which path to take. James 1 says, if you need wisdom, ask the generous God. What are you facing that you don't have answers to? What are you dealing with that you need a direction on? Ask the generous God. He will give it to you. Again, he's declaring, I will give it to you. I will. Come to me, believe that I am generous. Come to me, believe that I will give it, and I will. And I will not correct you for asking me. What does that look like? He's not going to look at you and go, hey, aren't you, are you that dumb, Kevin? You don't know the answer to that question. That's not what he, he is not going to correct you for asking him. He welcomes the asking. He welcomes the questions. It doesn't matter to him. He loves to give. Wisdom, how do we get wisdom? Through prayer and by reading. What does that look like? Talking to the Lord in prayer, listening to the Lord in prayer, and reading his word and letting his word talk back to us. His wisdom and his will are in his word. Let's just say that together. His wisdom and his will are in his word. People oftentimes say they don't hear God. I ask them, are you reading your Bible? You say, well, I don't understand my Bible. I didn't ask you if you understood your Bible. That wasn't the question. The question is, is are you reading your Bible? Because what the Bible is is the language of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit speaks a language, and his language is the Scripture. And so if you want to hear the voice of the Spirit, start putting the Scripture in you, right? And as you put the Scripture in you, you'll be amazed at how God's voice begins to resonate. You'll be amazed at how much he begins to speak to you and what you hear now. And again, it has nothing to do with you understanding it. It just has to do with you putting into it because there's power in the scripture, whether you understand it or not. It has nothing to do with your understanding. And we should get understanding. We should grow in that. But you don't, don't wait for that, man. Just put it in you and let the spirit begin. To, you're, you're learning his language. And he speaks that language. Here's a big one. So we have to be dependent upon the Lord for our defense. What does that look like? Joseph, if you hear, read the story, Genesis 37 through 40, if you want to read it, he was accused of rape. He didn't do it. He was accused of rape. He was charged with rape. He was convicted of rape. And he was sentenced to prison for rape. And he didn't do it. He was falsely accused. Every person around him betrayed him. Everybody made him empty promises. Even his own family members betrayed him. And he did not defend himself. 
in this way. What does that look like? He did not answer people's opinions. He did not answer people's critiques. And he did not answer people's judgments. I don't know about you guys, but if you're familiar with the world in which we live in, this world of the internet, anyone can say anything. Are you aware of that? Anybody ever had a Facebook rampage? Somebody starts saying stuff about you on Facebook, and you're like, what? Who's saying it about me? <laughs> or the email war, where you're lobbing, bombing emails back and forth, and then all of a sudden, some offensive email gets shared with, oh, you shared that with all my friends, huh? Oh, this is what ends up happening. We have critiques, opinions, and judgments about us. The scripture tells us this. Jesus, when he was insulted, did not retaliate. When he was threatened, he did not, and he did not extend revenge towards that person. But he left it in the hands of the one who judges fairly. This is the point. If your conscience is clear before God, you do not have to answer anyone's critique. If your conscience is clear before God, nobody else's opinion matters. No, Jesus did not answer the fool, nor did he answer the critic. In the economy of heaven, critics count for nothing. God counts a critic for zero. He doesn't even answer him. Look at all the people that were critiquing him and saying things. Jesus didn't even pay them any mind. He didn't even answer him. He didn't even acknowledge they were there. Critics don't count for anything in God's economy. Critic in a sense of tearing people down and pointing fingers and always. That's why Jesus said, you look at the, the, the speck in somebody else's eye, deal with the plank in your own eye, man. You know, you're, you're worried about this person over here? Well, look at, look at what's in your own eye. Stop pointing fingers. That's the whole dynamic there. Critics count for nothing in God's economy. Zero. If you want to call the shots, you're going to take shots. That's how it is. Every single person in this room is a leader. You say, I don't lead anything. Yeah, you do. You lead your own life. You're going to lead, if you're in a family, you're going to lead your kids. You're going to lead your dog. You're going to lead something. You're presiding. You have a work. You have a job. You, you preside. There's many things in your life that you preside over. And if you're going to call the shots, you're going to take shots. If you want to be exceptional, you will not always be accepted. Just settle that right now. People's opinion, there's only one opinion that matters, and it's Jesus. That's the only opinion that matters. And here's the, here's the most freeing element of it all. My opinion of myself doesn't matter. If my heart condemns me, he is greater than my heart, and he knows all things. My opinion, hello, doesn't matter. It has no, it has no matter what people think of me. It has no matter what I think of myself. And the same for you. It doesn't matter what people think of you. I pray everybody loves you and has a great time with you. I think that's great. But not everybody will. You say, well, if I was perfect, everyone would like me. No, they wouldn't. Jesus is perfect. No one liked him. They murdered him. They slandered him. They did nothing but talk bad about him. He had a very few group. There was a very small group of people that really genuinely loved him. Right? I don't know if you know that. The same people that were crying out Hosanna three days later were the ones crying out crucify him. Same group of people. Fickled. They love you. They hate you. You're awesome. You're amazing. You go, man, this church is awesome. I always tell them, take a deep breath and stick around. Okay? No perfect people allowed. You see how we brand that? We just stick that all over the place. Why is that? Because that's the reality. We're directional. We're not it's not about perfection. It's about direction. We're not perfect, but we're moving in the right direction. Right? <laughs> We have to be not defensive of ourselves. And here's Psalm 62. I got two more slides and we're done. 
Psalm 62. This whole psalm is about the critic. I was going to take portions of it, but as I was reading through it, I go, man, we're going to read the whole thing. He says, my soul waits silently for the Lord because he is my salvation. He is my rock and my salvation. And let's say this together. He, he is my defense. Is my defense. I will not be moved. What is this guy talking about? He's talking about everybody. This psalm is about everybody's opinions, everybody saying things, everybody wanting to talk smack and all this other crap. And what he's saying is like, my defense is in the Lord. And then he, the Lord answers through the prophet, and he's answering actually the critic. This is directed back at the critic. How long will you attack a man? How long will you keep talking that? You shall be slain. This is what God's opinion is of the critic, the person who wants to tear the person down from a high position. That's the whole goal. That's what critics try to do. They try to tear down people from a high position, whatever that may be. He says, how long will you attack a man? You will be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast the person down from the high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth. This is what people say. Okay, they delight in lies, they bless you with their mouth, and they, and they bless you with their mouth, but inwardly they curse you. And then it uses this word, selah, which is, think about that. They say really nice things, but they curse you in their heart. And people go, well, if, if I could just make them understand, they would like me. There's something in psychology called motivational reasoning. In other words, if somebody doesn't like you, they're going to find a motivation to not like you. They're going to find a reason to not like you. So if you go to them and you go, no, you just really under, just don't understand me, and let me explain, and let me just contort myself to really explain all of this to you. And you might explain that well, and then they're going to shift positions, and they're going to find something else to not like you about. Because it's motivational reasoning that you cannot answer those critics. You have to let them be. Let them be. Blind leaders of the blind, Jesus said. Lead them alone. The disciples were always like, Jesus, don't you know what the Pharisees are saying? And Jesus is like, they're blind leaders of the blind. You want to follow them? Go follow them. Because they're going to lead you into a pit. They don't know where they're going. Jesus didn't go, what are you guys saying? You don't understand what I'm saying. He said things, and his disciples came and go, what you told those Pharisees, they were offended, Jesus. And he said, were they offended? Really, you guys were offended? Well, let me say a little bit more. This is who Jesus is. He didn't go, oh, I'm so sorry for offending you. I'm so sorry I stepped on your religious toes. I'm so sorry I told you you were a sinner and you needed to be saved. I'm so sorry I told you I'm the way, the truth, and the life and that not one of you will come to the Father but by me. I'm so sorry. He didn't do that. He'd look him right in the face and say, unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he made no apologies for it. Come on down. <laughs> Enough said. Let's go home with that. On with the party. Hey. He makes no apologies, man. Jesus, when he talks, he doesn't blink. Doesn't blink. Doesn't answer the critics. Not worried about people getting their feelings hurt. Not when he's not insensitive, but he's not, he's not interested in people's opinions that are contrary to his. And the only two people he reasoned with were people that genuinely loved him. The Lord will reason with him, with you. Absolutely. But you have to genuinely love him. If you're just reasoning with him as an antagonist, he doesn't have time for you. You will find me and search for me when you look for me with all your heart, the Bible says. He has no word for you if you're an antagonist and all you're doing is looking to critique or pull down. He has no word for you. But to those who's humble in heart, a broken, contrite spirit, he will not despise. He will draw you near. 
He will draw you close. So if you genuinely have questions and you genuinely have wanting things from him with an open heart, he will answer you 100% of the time. But all if you have is a critical eye, a critical heart, you just want to rip people down. I have a rule too. People want to tell me all the, all the time, people are like, oh, pastor, don't you know what people say to me all the time? I'm like, you have no idea what people say to me. You know? Everybody think I get banners and lollipops and everybody's shooting off confetti when I walk in the room. You have no idea. I just don't talk about it. Right? And I, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My conscience and my heart is pure before the Lord, and that's what I'm trying to do. And so people want to come and they want to say all these things, and I look at them, and if they genuinely love me, I will listen to them. And this is your rule. This is the rule of critiques. If the person genuinely loves you, you can hear them. But if they do not love you, if they do not genuinely are not proven and demonstrated to seek the highest good for you, they are not the person to tell you that. Jesus can tell me anything he wants to tell me, as harsh as he wants to be and as direct, because I know he genuinely loves me. But if you do not genuinely love me, what you're saying may be true, but you are not the person to tell me that. It's just how it is. My wife tells me lots of things. <laughs> she genuinely loves me, and I got to grab the chair and go, okay, Kevin, we need to talk. All right, what are we talking about? I don't know, sorry. I'm therapying myself right now, but anyway. My soul waits silently for the Lord. My expectation is in him. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I will not be moved. God in my salvation, he is my glory. He is my strength. In other words, you see what he's drawing on? In the Lord, he is my refuge. And here's the last part of this verse. People want to know, what do I do with all this emotion, pastor? What do I do when people hurt me and when people say things about me and when they do vicious things and I want to retaliate? What do I do? He tells you, pour out your heart to him. He tells you, what do you do with it? Pour out your heart to him. He will be your refuge. So we look to him. Last, excuse me, last slide, promise. Moving on. Man, I just love you guys, man. You're egging me on, and it's all good, and I'm feeling really good. This is awesome. So, <laughs> I love you. I'm glad you're here. That's awesome. It's awesome. The last place we need to be dependent upon is God's timing. When you look at the scripture, you look particularly at the life of Joseph, you're looking at four chapters in the Bible. We think this took two weeks, right? So you're looking, oh, this took about two weeks for this to happen. Or maybe a week or 10 days, who knows? It took 22 years from the time Joseph got a vision. Let's just say that together. 22 years. <laughs> from the time the Lord gave him a vision to the time he brought it to pass. 22 years. We live in a world of fast food, fast lanes, and fast companies. But while we wait, God is working. I was telling a story in first service, and when I first came to Christ, and we were kind of like a bunch of zealots, like flaming, burning zealots, and we were all talking about what we were going to do and what God had called us to do. And a friend of mine and both, we kind of felt this calling to be pastors. And he's like, man, it, wouldn't it be amazing, you know, if like in 20 years, you know, you're a pastor and I'm a pastor. And it, wouldn't it be amazing? And I pastor this church and he pastors a church in uh, Greensboro, South Carolina. I was just thinking about that. Too, and that was like, that's like a 20-year plus journey. But yet the vision was there. The vision is true. God will fulfill his vision to you people. He will not lie. The Bible says, though the vision wait... Though the vision seems to, seems to tarry, though the vision delays, wait for it, Habakkuk, for it will surely come. Yeah. Though it seems like it's not going to happen, if the Lord has said it in clear revelation, he will do it. Yes. He will. Psalm 31, my future is in your hands. When God moves, 
he moves very rapidly. The smallest family will become a thousand people. The tiniest group will become a mighty nation. Everybody say this together. At the right time, the Lord will make it happen. Joseph went from the prison to the palace in a day. He woke up in the prison. He went to bed that night after eight years in jail. Okay? Eight years. So he's 22 years from the time he had the dream. Was in prison for eight years for something he didn't do. Forgotten. Betrayed by even the people he served when he was in prison. Serves this guy. Guy has a dream. Serves him. Tells him what the Lord's going to do. Says, hey, God's going to do this for you. And when he does it for you, remember me? Well, that didn't work out. He forgot him. <laughs> went on his own way. And Joseph was forgotten. But he trusted in the Lord. And in a moment, he went from the prison to the palace in a day. When God begins to work in your life, he will work rapidly. When God begins to transition you, he will transition you rapidly. But you have to allow the establishment of dependency upon God in your life. You have to allow that. You have to forcefully pound it in and relate yourself to depend upon him regardless of your circumstances and regardless of your situations. And you have to hold on to the dream that he gave you. And you must depend upon him to bring it to pass. Amen? And I would say this. And I'm going to say this because of Claire. Because Claire liked this, what I said in first service. Let's just say this. While God is working, while we wait, God is working. Let's just say this. He does his best work, does his work. In, silence. in silence. I've learned that when God is not speaking, because oftentimes we're in a situation, we've prayed, we've given it to the Lord, and all of a sudden it feels like heaven has fallen silent. Anybody with me on that? Okay? It feels like, what, did he leave? You know, did, what happened here? You know? And, and I, I've learned through experience that when it's silent, God's working. And I was just meditating on this like last night, and I'm like, why is it that you go quiet? Why is, it that, why is it that like heaven goes quiet when I know you're working because I've experienced this many times that when it's quiet, you're doing something. And I felt like, um, like I, I buy like these old watches, okay? I buy them cheap. So like I'll buy, you know, 15 bucks Goodwill and I'll take it to a Seiko, really vintage retro watch. And I'll take it to a watch guy and I get it fixed and I take this little watch guy over here. And I noticed the other day, because I have like a pile of watches in my thing that don't have batteries and so I take them over there and, and I put a battery in it. And I'm trying to talk to him while he's working on my watch. He's never wants to talk to me while he's working on my watch. You ever seen somebody open up the back of a timepiece? There's a lot going on there, right? And watch repairmen like get down on it, man. They're like, you know, don't talk to me right now. Like that. Right? When you ask the Lord to intervene, when you position yourself, God has opened up the timepiece. And he is working on your situation. Just because heaven falls silent doesn't mean that he is not working on your timepiece. He's working on it. He's, he's putting into gears. He's making sure everything's going to turn in just the right way. He's working on it. When you, when he is silent, he is working. While we wait, he is working. We have to have confidence and dependency upon that. And if you're here this morning and this is your first time to this church, we want to welcome you. You say, I don't even know why I'm here. I got some reasons why I'm here. Well, if you're a Christian and you don't have a church home, I can tell you why you're here because God wants you to be connected to a local family. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, have I got news for you? This is why you're here. God has brought you here into this time and into this moment in his perfect timing for you to hear a message about his love and his grace and to give you an opportunity to open your heart and to literally move you in a moment from a prison to a palace to literally move you out of, for, uh, out, of, out of darkness and into light in a moment. And so we're going to close this service out with a prayer. We pray together. And if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, as we pray, all I want you to do is just open your heart 
No one can open your heart but you. You don't even have to understand it. It doesn't even have to make sense to you, but you do have to respond by faith. Just open your heart as we pray together and you just pray with us and you just invite Jesus to come and he surely will. And so let's just pray together. Let's say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. So I open my heart to you and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to take my life from the prison to the palace. I ask you to forgive me, to restore me, to renew me, and to repurpose me. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Well, if you did that, let me know. We have a prayer team available for you this morning if you need prayer. Come on, yeah. If you need prayer for anything, our prayer team is ready to pray for you and just speak blessing over your life. I'm going to bless you one more time, but like just by quick reminder, free family photos, right? Please take advantage of that. Get some food, hang out. Get your portrait taken next week. We've got some 8x10s. And don't worry if you don't look good. People are like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to look good. You're going to look amazing. Don't worry about it. It's going to be great. And uh, also, we have our potluck available, so they're setting it up right now. Make yourselves at home. Enjoy the day, and uh, I'm going to bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Enjoy the day. Come on.